Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America podcast. J.J. Cooper, John Manuel, Clint Longenecker. John and Clint the ones you're really going to want to hear about today. We're breaking down the first two days of the draft through the first ten rounds. Obviously, there will be names that we're going to hear coming up. That you know will still be drafted on day three, but two days in the books, we have a pretty good idea of how these drafts kind of sort out now. So we're going to give analysis team by team. Before we do that, though, I want to remind you: dreaming of a job in professional baseball? Apply free at SportsManagementWorldwide.com to see if you're qualified to become a scout, agent, or work on the business side of professional baseball. Go to SportsManagementWorldwide.com. So John, so Clint, it's been two whirlwind days. John's been up to. Sakakis, been on TV, and now he's back. And it's been a fun two days, as it always is. I mean, this is always fun for us. This is, this is Christmas in June for us. But we're just going to jump right into it. Starting off, what we're going to do is this. we're going to go through and talk about the teams, but in the same time, talk about the first round, because that's obviously where a lot of the, the machinations really kind of kick off. But we're going to go draft order. So we're going to start with the Astros. As it is every year, it seems like when the Astros pick number one, it was a secret to the last couple of minutes. But the Astros take Brady Aiken. What did y'all think of the number one pick, and what did y'all think of their drafts overall up to now? I really think Clint that they did not. If they deter, if they had not decided on Brady Aiken, I think they decided on him 100% late, and then I think it was still up in the air, or they wanted to create the impression that it was up in the air up until five minutes before the draft actually happened at seven o'clock. Because I was texting with agents um, right up until who, who advised these players right up until the start of the draft show, and they didn't know. They didn't know for sure who was going number one, and just some subsequent information I'm still trying to track down a little bit. Uh, you know, especially tomorrow, is that um, you know the, the Astros really were trying to put the screws on Brady Aiken negotiating wise, and I'm not sure they have a firm number, but they took him anyway. But that Brady Aiken really was, and his representatives were trying to hold firm. So, I, one of the untold stories of this draft, guys, is that XL Sports Management, uh, Casey Close and his group, they represent the players who were drafted first, Brady Aiken, second, Tyler Kolick, fourth, Kyle Schwarber, twelfth, uh, who's twelve again? Tyler Beatty, uh, Foster Griffin at twenty-eight. A great day for Excel Sports Management, and uh, and and so we had a couple of things that happened there. So first of all, you have the third time ever we've had a prep pitcher drafted first overall with Brady Aiken, and the first time in draft history we've gone a prep pitcher, prep pitcher one two, because it didn't happen in '73 and it didn't happen in '91. Uh, so in '73 it was David Clyde followed by John Stearns, and in '91 it was Brian Taylor followed by Mike Kelly. And yes, I did the, look those up. Those aren't big oh, copy today. I could have done Mike Kelly on top of my head. <laughs> but yeah, but um, but so draft history was made Thursday, and I, I mean, yeah, Thursday, Thursday, Thursday. okay. <laughs> but so I, I'm almost ashamed of myself for having been part of the broadcast and not having made a bigger deal of that. But it was a historic draft, and in this information age, 
And then I tell you two things. First of all, you think it's an information age. You think in this money ball era, that would not go that way. But it's, it is going that way. And then second, to me, Clint, it tells you that we have more track record now on high school players because of travel ball. So for all the ills that have been ascribed to travel ball recently, including some by me, but I've ascribed to it, one of the advantages of it, Clint, is that teams that draft at the top of the draft where six, five million dollars are at stake have the track record on these high school players to draft them that high. I think, I think that's a great point. And I went back and I looked with Brady Aiken over the course of the summer and factoring in Team USA, I think he had about 35 to 40 innings, somewhere in that range. And I think he had only two walks. So, you know, facing wow. premier competition, granted, 30 innings in, in, the, in the grand scheme of things is a very, very small sample size. But again, putting it in historical context, that compared to what it was maybe five or even ten years ago is going to be at least double or triple what it was. And then you factor in the spring. So it really does change the landscape for these high school guys. I think so. And I think the 18, the, inter, the, the spread of international baseball is another part of that. You know, JJ, we, have, we get the fever every four years for the World Baseball Classic. But that international, uh, obviously, uh, the international baseball tournaments, I mean, like Ben writes about them all the time with 16-year-old Dominican guys. Oh, these Venezuelans played the 12-year, the you know, international 12-year championships or World Se- Little League World Series or jerks and pro farmers in the Little League World Series. So these, this track record actually matters. And I think that these international competitions... I think that international baseball, even at the 18U level, Clint, is more competitive now than it was 10 years ago. So you get a little bit more of a read. So these tournaments, these summer things, they matter too. And uh, just like I think Carlos Rodon dominating Cuba last summer matters. So Because he didn't pitch this spring like the number three overall pick. He went number three overall based on the, the whole track record. So some guys moved up into the first round of the draft this year. Despite not having as much track record, but most of the guys who went there are the track record guys. And that's why some of the high school, that's another reason why some of the high school pitching fell. But uh, we did have some high school pitchers. Again, the quote that I used the high school right hander is always loved until you get in that draft room and you got to line up your board and the general manager can get involved. And, and then the high school right hander falls a little bit. We saw that happen quite a bit on Thursday night as well, Clint, and, and into today. Yeah, sure did. Yeah, I think. I mean, Tuki Toussaint, who was you know considered the number three consensus pitcher from the high school standpoint, he went number sixteen overall. And granted, we did see Cody Medeiros go twelfth overall. How about but that? But it was huh? it was surprising to see what, what was that uh, fourteen picks between high school right-handers. Considered that was the strongest demographic of the entire draft. Let's talk about Cody. Can we talk about Cody Medeiros, JJ? Oh, we'll get there. We'll okay. get there before before we wrap up on the Astros. I do want to ask. Jumps out with the Astros seems like a, a similar approach to what they did last year. After the first round pick, Aiken's obviously a high school lefty. After that, supplemental first, second round especially. Those the Derek Fisher, AJ Reed. Last year we saw them go for back to the grill again. Pro- is what they did here. Produ- productive. Last year it was Tony Kemp Andrew and Thurman. Andrew Thurman and Ken Emanuel, productive college players. We see it again this year. Is that kind of the? Does that seem to be the Astros' mo now, Clint? Yeah, I think so. And, and getting both of those guys with, with Fisher and Reed, I think that is a great haul. You know, you think about how the season could have potentially played out for Derek Fisher. This is probably on the low end of things. If you play this season out a number of different times, he could go in the teens, he could go in the 20s. To be able to get him where he did and Reed, you know, certainly we, we've talked about his, uh, his his exploits as, you know, the player of the year in college and how they stack up versus historic other players, you know, who might right. earn that 
award and maybe not on par with that. But at the end of the day, you have somebody who slugged or who had an ISO of, yeah. of 400. And, and captain three true outcomes. I mean, the Adam Dunn of college baseball, basically. And then you throw in that he was, I mean, who's a, who's a, a decent pitcher, left-hander, who would, you would merge onto Adam Dunn. That's basically what he was. But 42% of his plate appearances were three true outcomes, right? Home runs, yep. walks, strikeouts. Um, if you haven't already checked it out, check out Clint's statistical breakdown of, the, of, the, of college players in the draft. It was awesome. And just a very fertile, if I'd been able to talk about A.J. Reed on the show, I would have quoted that stat again because it was an awesome stat. But um, I, don't, I actually don't like what the Astros did personally. I think you, got, you have to yeah, – they were left with money on the table last year, J.J., and unless they – I would imagine this year they're going to spend all their money it's above slot, Clint, on Aiken and then Jacob Nix. I mean, how much of a haircut is Aiken going to take? This leads me to believe that Brady Aiken's going to get close to – he's going to get more money or, than Mark Appel got last year. They also get the number – they get the first pick in the 11th round. Are we going to see there are a lot of still really good high school right-handers who fail for signability reasons – are they still going to get one or two more in that part? Probably one more. They could be yeah. in play. But probably one more, but I mean, we'll see how many more. Because last year they thought there were going to be right. more players worth spending money on, and when they didn't get Manaya, there wasn't anybody. And so this year's class is certainly different. Much more high school pitching, as we've discussed all spring, as we've written and discussed in the couple podcasts we've done. But they're not going to go over slot for Derek Velasquez. Or Brock Dyshorn. I mean, he'll take Canadian money for crying out loud. That's just a bad joke. But Especially now, because the Canadian dollar and the U.S. dollar are pretty similar. Yeah, but the Canadian, the Canadian money's plastic. So, uh, But he's been in these states for two years. But, I mean, I like some of the college performers they took. I do like Fisher, Reed, Davis from that standpoint. Um, but there's no up-the-middle players there. Uh, they're all corner guys. Uh, you know, So from that standpoint, I understand what they're doing. I know they believe in it, and I know Sig Megdahl and those guys are smarter than me, but there's no up the middle here. And maybe I've talked too much to people over the years, J.J., who love to talk about drafting up the middle. But the Astros don't do that. They, don't, they haven't done that. Tony Kemp is their up-the-middle draft guy in the last couple of years, so there's got to be a high school. Feel free to mix in a high school shortstop in Astros. You know, that, that's all. I mean, we're going to be critical uh, about it, so maybe the, you know, people want that on the draft show, more criticism. There's one criticism. The Astros don't draft up the middle, and they couldn't take a catcher. They couldn't take a shortstop. I think there had to be somebody that they could have had on their board. I think they have plenty of corner bats. I don't see A.J. Reed forcing his way. I, honestly, I think A.J. Reed's going to be a 4A guy. So that, I'm not convicted on A.J. Reed. I'm glad they are. That's keep going. Already, don't, 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 I'm going to fall asleep soon. Keep, keep going. Okay, Marlins at two. We had... There was a lot of thought coming in. Carlos Rodon was going to go to the Marlins. Cuban ties, you know, the ownership maybe get involved. I, I'll just say, from the looking at it from the outside, we, everything we had heard that was that the scouting department for the Marlins was in on the high school guys, mm-hmm. not Rodon. Consistently heard Aiken, Kolick, Jackson is the three players they were most interested in. So I'm I'm just happy to see from the standpoint of. To me, teams should not have – it should not be something where you spend a year preparing for this <laughs> and then all of a sudden someone who's not prepping for this says, oh, yeah, by the way, the we're going to – the last day or two. That's a great way to put – that's a perfect way to explain it. I completely agree with you, JJ. And they, that's what they did. Tyler Kolick, he is – It he could have fallen in this draft because teams couldn't figure out 
who to compare him to, but he goes two overall. They were convicted about Tyler Kolick. John, the thing that jumps out to me is, is that, again, they're getting the guy they wanted to get. Yeah. Now, and it seems like after that, you know, obviously that's what set up the, the, the rest of the first round for the f- first 10 picks, but it's also a very, a very interesting rest of that draft. Yeah, I'll quickly just weigh in. I like their first 10 picks, even though there's some individual picks I don't like, like Blake Anderson, just because Mississippi high school kids, <laughs> you read my column from last June, <laughs> I said enough about it, but this guy, Blake Anderson, you're no Hunter Renfro, I'll just put it that way. Um, oh, Hunter, I love Hunter. <laughs> But, um, but, you know, they took athletes. Uh, they took up-the-middle potential athletes, Clint. Uh, and, and it didn't have to be uh, too much of a reach. Justin Twine, electric athlete. Do I think he's really a second-round talent? Probably not because the bat is far away. But if you're going to take a chance on an athlete, he's a guy to take a chance on. I am stunned they took him over Monte Harrison. He went higher than Monte Harrison in the draft. But, if you're, but he does have a chance to stay in the dirt. Maybe that's why they valued him more. Brian Anderson on the college side is an athlete. There's a chance yep. to be a second baseman, chance to be up the middle. Brian Shales, my information is he's more of a third baseman, but he's drafted as a high school shortstop. Anthony Seymour, athlete, right? Tremendous athlete. And then Probably one of the two or three fastest guys in the entire draft. I know Stone Garrett is a little stiff, according to the scouting reports we have, with apologies to Mr. Garrett, who disagrees with that assessment. <laughs> but he does run. I mean, I think of, I look at that guy, body, right, right, speed, physicality, I think Glenn Braggs who was also power-speed guy, but also was stiff in some ways. Glenn Bragg's maybe before your time. But you, you <laughs> could picture Glenn Bragg. Yeah. Buff, could run, but wasn't ever quite as good. The piece, there was a little stiffness to him. There was a little stiffness. Stone Garrett, to me, Glenn Bragg's. That's my own comp. I haven't run that by a scout. Somebody let, let me know at johnmanuelbaseballamerica.com <laughs> if that is off. But I even like Dylan Peters at 10, who yeah. had some late elbow trouble. But if you could get him signed and rehab him... That's a guy with pitch feel and three pitches, a track record. So I like what the Marlins did. They're individual picks within that top ten rounds you can quibble with, but I, I would be excited if I were the Marlins coming out of the day. There's upside. There's not much track record. It, it, it's, it's in stark contrast to it what is. we just discussed. It's, you couldn't have two more contrasting general managers and Dan Jennings and Jeff Luna and two contrasting organizational philosophies with the Marlins. This is an old-school kind of draft, but I just – I like the athleticism being the focus of the draft, and that's what the Marlins did. Yeah, and just go back to Anderson, who, who yeah. just briefly spoke about. We had heard some late rumors that some teams were in hit on him in the second round. And, about Blake you know, Anderson. Not yeah, Ryan. sorry, Blake Anderson, yeah, who, who was probably the, I mean, up through the, the supplemental round was probably the most surprising pick for many people, and I thought you did a good job on the broadcast. But a lot of people early in the process said they thought, or some thought that he was just a pitcher, some valued him after after the fifth round, some some more in that eight to ten round range, but he picked up a lot of traction down the stretch with workouts because yep. the athleticism plays in the workout plus arm showcase sub skills. There were there were three or, there were three or four. Yes, there were three or four other teams on him in this range, and they were the one to grab him. Well, uh, I, I, we also have a we have a Twitter question with the next two it involves the next two teams. So that would be Will the Beast uh, t- <laughs> tweeted which Chicago team had the better ten rounds. Uh, I'm going to let you guys uh, answer this one first, Clint. But which team do you, which Chicago team do you think had the better first ten rounds? That's <laughs> while, while he's thinking about that, I will kind of just set the stage. So we had the White Sox. This draft set up well for the White Sox in the first round. 
In the first round, the White Sox get Carlos Rodon at number three. They were picking three. They knew it wasn't going to tear out terribly for them because if you're like Aiken, Rodon, and Kolick, one of them is going to be there. If you're the Cubs picking four, your fingers are crossed that one of those three, Aiken, Rodon, or Kolick, will manage to slip through. Carlos Rodon goes three to the White Sox. No one slips through. So then the Cubs had a very different approach. Michael Schwarber, uh, first round. Schwarber was not considered the number four talent. I, I know that Theo said yesterday that he was number two on their board. That board is a, is a price that we can sign him for versus value board or something. Because Schwarber was no, no one had Schwarber two on their board that we heard. But so now having set the stage, what do you think of these two drafts? I'm just really intrigued by what the Cubs did overall. I think you know some some people did did question a little bit of, of that tactic coming out of the first Sorry, day. Kyle Schwarber, by the way, not yeah, Michael. Kyle Schwarber was walking away with Schwarber and Snell, although they are both very very good players. But you really start to see, or you saw, you know, their board lineup and their strategy play out this 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 next day today. We're grabbing Mark Zagunis in the third round, and then Carson Sands. You know who was considered a, probably a top two round pick. We were from multiple people, at least three or four people, saying that he was not going to get out of the second round. Justin Steele, who could have been covered at as high as the third round, he's, he's a left hander who's been up to ninety four athleticism. There's a lot to like there, and there's some projection. Then Dylan Cease. Now that that might be one, one of the toughest uh, toughest players of their of their group to get signed because of the signability and his elbow questions and the Vanderbilt commitment. But just in terms of pure talent, if they're able to get all of these guys that they got in rounds one through eight, you're talking about eight guys who are probably all top 100 to 150 talents. A and, great and that's collection what, of talent. Diversification. You love the portfolio that, and, that they and, got. And clearly that's what they did. What they yep. looked at it here was get Schwarber. I, news slash here. Schwarber's not going to sign for the full <laughs> slot at number four. One would not expect uh, if he does, this rest of this draft fell apart because the, you can see the plan here of that gives you the money to sign some of, as you said, guys who went later than they were expected to go, almost assuredly because of questions on how much it's going to cost. And that shifts the money for them to do that. So, you know, we're, we've, we're really focused more on Cubs right now than, than White Sox. But, John, what did you think of this Cubs draft? A Cubs draft that really came into focus, it feels like, in a lot of ways today. I mean, I, I, I thought they killed it. You know, I tweeted that. I, I, I thought they did a great job with it. Um, I think they also got some senior signs back at the back. James Ferris is going to be like a five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 guy. Uh, college four-pitch right-hander who performed this year. One of the better performers, actually, in the Pac-12. So, and then Jake Tommy Stinnett. Team USA experience. Yeah, but they got the best. They got the best senior pitcher, I think, in the draft, and Jake Stinnett. He's not going to take, according to the, his advisors that I've talked to, he's not going to take a big haircut. You know, he wants close to full slot, but I think that they probably wouldn't get as much. So he'll get a lot of money for a college senior, but it will be below the, the pick at 45. So the Cubs are going to do very well. And Jake Sinet's a legit talent up to 97 as a starter. Clint, you saw him get at Wake Forest. Uh, that guy's a legitimate guy. Yeah, so I love their draft. I love the guys that took chances on, whether it's Steele, Sands, Norwood were fans of Mark Zagunas. So, you know, I think people focus too much on the fact that he had two home runs this year. He had 15 the previous two years, including nine in 2013, 
when he was surrounded by a lot more talent on that uh, Virginia Tech team. Uh, I like their draft quite a bit. But to go to our tweeters question, I like, well, I like it. I still like the White Sox draft better because I'm a, obviously in the bag for Carlos. <laughs> I love Spencer Adams. Not as much as Clint, but I love it. <laughs> I love Jace Fry. He's already had his TJ six years and counting, six years left. Um, but but he's a sinker slider lefty, and the trend lines were all up. They got the Pac-12 pitcher of the year in the third round, and he's got good stuff. It's an above-average fastball when you factor in the velocity and the life, and it's an average to above slider. Throws a lot of strikes. I like Jace Fry quite a bit. Zach Thompson has some upside. Uh, Jacob Peter, he's not really a shortstop, but you, know, you talk to his coach at Creighton, and Jacob Peters like the perfect second baseman with big-time arm strength to turn the double play. But he said, for me, he didn't have infield actions at shortstop. But you could see it if somebody – and he's, oh, by the way, 92-94 off the mound. He just got tender the last seven weeks of the year, so they didn't use him on the mound. So I like their draft quite a bit. I'm, I'm enthused for their draft. Uh, and even, and I, I do think – I know the White Sox are convicted on Brett Austin. I just – I was impressed by the toughness that guy showed this year. He's had so much criticism – and instead of wilting as a junior and saying, you know, I stunk as a sophomore and I didn't sign for 1.6 out of high school, woe was me, he just, you know, girded himself and got better and just focused on what he can control and he got better and he, yep. he came into some power late in the year. So I really have a lot of respect for Brett Austin as well. So I like what the Cubs did. I like what the White Sox did a little bit better. And to me, it comes down to they both wanted Carlos Rodon and the White Sox got him. Yeah. And you, you mentioned uh, you know how, how we both like Zagunas. When I got a chance to see Zagunas, it was that Virginia Tech game um, where, where he was matched up with Brett Austin. And doubleheader, Brett Austin caught 18 innings that day. And at the, end of the, at the end of the outing, we were talking with a few scouts, and everybody was just like, you know what? Brett Austin really showed something today. This is like the fourth or fifth time all year he has caught 18 innings of, of a doubleheader, showing energy behind the plate, like you said. And you talk to scouts. The first thing that they talk about with catchers is, does he want to catch? Right. And he, sh- he showed it. He's shown it for two straight years. And he, again, I'll just say the guy picked himself up off the dirt as a freshman year when he shows up on day one as a guy who turned down all that money. And you show up on campus and you know you're not as good as Carlos Rodon. And then you find out you know you're not as good as Trey Turner. And it just kept on piling on him and he rebounded from that. And this is not like some country kid. This is a kid from suburban Charlotte. I think the, the, you would think of as one of these soft travel ball kids. And to, he, he proved to me that he's not. So I have utmost respect for Brett Austin. I think that he earned scouts respect too. And the funny thing is it came late because you still talk to a lot of people who just wrote him off early. And there were guys in this area who were talking about him as a senior sign. And now he goes in the third round. I just have a lot of respect for that. So that moves us on. We've already talked about the Cubs. Moving on, number the Twins pick fifth in the first round. Nick Gordon, probably one of the least surprising picks. Yeah. Maybe the least. That probably was the least surprising pick of the first round. Him and Aaron Nola going to seven of the Phillies, definitely the least surprising picks. The other least surprising thing is, boy, the the Twins love college relievers now, Clint. (laughs) They just do it the last three years. And they love Velo now. Well, that's not surprising because it was just so obvious they needed it. But it's just college relievers. I thought when you're looking for Velo, high school pitchers. Where's, I guess they didn't like Sean Reed Fuller, or he didn't get to them. Did he not get to them in the second round? He, went, he was 44, like 40, right? Yes. Yeah, 44 right. to Toronto, right ahead or of no, them? Or no? right, 40, right, right behind him. Oh, right behind him. So they just yep. they evaluated Sean Reed Foley and passed. That's where I thought they would go, and they chose Nick Birdie instead. 
I get it. Nick Birdie certainly has the bigger arm. For me, I would think they would have mixed in some of the high school pitchers, Clint, because starting pitching is really what this organization two, needs. Two high school p- players total right. in the ten, first ten rounds, both of them position players, Troy Stokes and Nick Gordon. Out of those college pitchers, Clint, is there anybody there you think who could start? Is there a chance for Sam Clay? A few guys down there who liked him, and this was not a consensus opinion, but a few people who, who did like the athleticism and the way that the arm worked thought that, you know, you might send him out there. You know, he's still on the long term, probably project, but at least give him the chance to. Yeah, I think so. I like Sam Clay's athleticism. I like the delivery a little bit, but uh, I think more likely he does wind up in the bullpen. He thrived in that role so much and still struggled with control. But I think we like what the Twins did to an extent. I would have liked to see them mix in a high school arm. Really quickly, Nick Gordon. Love him. I, what I, Clint, I mean, what does that mean? What does he mean? How does he fit for this team? The thing that jumps out to me is, is for a team, you talked about up the middle. They've obviously got, they've got Buxton coming if we can just ever get his wrist healthy. Yeah. You know, they've got Sano being the dirt at third. They've had so much success lately with Latin Americans like Santana, Polanco up the middle. This is really the highest drafted middle infielder. And we got to say at this and, point. And Brian Dozier is actually like a valuable, valuable. This is not. I was say, he's the this last is not a replaceable. Children. This yeah. is not a replaceable guy. This is not a guy you're looking to to move on from. Not yet. No, he's doing some things. Obviously, he's hitting for a lot more power than he ever anyone would ever have expected. But Clint, what's your what's your take on Gordon? His place in the organization, but more importantly, is this guy a true shortstop to the people you've talked to? There were different opinions early, but as the season wore on, it certainly seemed like. You know, people are saying plus, if not plus, plus defense, and he certainly has one of the best arms in the draft, if not the best arm from the infield standpoint. Yeah, I think. Oh, Matt Chapman. Yes. Yeah, for, from the high school side. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Matt Chapman is unparalleled in this I, draft. I just love at the end of the video that you guys did for Rodon, <laughs> the end of it is just this magical throw from Matt Chapman where it's like, ah, you can just see like the angels <laughs> are riding on the ball all the way to first base, and they're not even stirring because it's just so true on a frozen rope. It's awesome. Um, so that moves us to the Mariners. I, I again, you're not. I'm not the analyst here, but Alex Jackson six. If you're the Mariners, you're a Mariners fan. Jumps out to me. You got to be pretty thrilled on that because if you were talking, if you were, if you said Alex Jackson went two, two or three in this draft, we would not have been surprised at all. And here you are, Alex Jackson going six. I just wanted to this say is like, the realistic floor. Yeah, it was. It was the floor. I and mean, to me, he just—he's Will Myers with better hair. You know, maybe <laughs> maybe I shouldn't see better hair, but like better hygiene. You know, that would have been my line. But I mean, he just—that's the career path. This guy, I think, you know, if I'm not running the Mariners, but send him out and see if the bat develops as he catches. But give him not. a year. I know they say they're not. That's why I prefaced it yeah. with if I were the Mariners, <laughs> give him a chance to see if he can do both. I understand there's an injury risk there. But this guy also has time, and you have Mike Zanino. I get all that. But if you could have his bat behind the plate, I, that would be a pretty special player. They're moving him straight to the right, to right field. Did, did you ever see him play infield, Clint? Because we talked to him Under Armour, and he said, I have a third baseman's mitt, I have a first baseman's mitt, I have a right fielder's you know, mitt. I have the Arizona Senior Fall Classic, which is two weeks before Jupiter. I got a chance to see him for two or three games out there with the Yankees scout team. He was unbelievable. He was locked in on 
every single ball. That's what I thought I heard. crushing balls right back up the middle. He almost killed one pitcher, but he had one game over there at third base. I think I actually wrote about it, and you know we spoke afterwards. He said he didn't really feel comfortable over there, but... You know the arm didn't work quite as well, but okay. that, that's that's the next. I mean, you're you're going to expect that because completely different arm path, and yep. we're just put there yep. in a one inning stint. But he he moves well enough. I mean, he's somebody you could certainly try him there. Yeah. He, he really is Will Myers. Will Myers started a catcher, that's, played outfield, played third base. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I, I understand on the broadcast why you're going to make a Bryce Harper, and Bryce Harper played some third base too. But to me, right, right, just like Will Myers could catch, will be expedited as a right fielder, but, and big time, I think, natural field to hit and power. I mean, Clint, hit the, over his track record of his high school career, he was awesome as a high school sophomore, not as good as a high school junior, awesome again as a high school senior. And to me, with these bats and the competition to San Diego, for that guy to be tied, or did he ever pass it, tied the section record for home runs, he still speaks tied. volumes. I mean, I just, nothing, there's really very little... You, there are very few hickeys on Alex Jackson. And they get that guy at six. I thought it was a pretty good coup for Seattle. And you know, interesting rest of their draft. A couple guys like Gareth Morgan, especially intriguing athlete for, for the Mariners, uh, who, who seem like they want to own Canada. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was a fun way to segment the draft. With, you know, your first three picks, you have outfielders, and then from the rest of the, from the rest of that point, you have co- college arms. You know, b- minus a catcher in the tenth round. Right. But yeah, Gareth Morgan. I mean, he's been heralded as. One of the best players to come out of Canada for for quite some time. As a 15-year-old, he was in the Under Armour All-American game, so he's been famous for a long time. And, and there was a little bit of prospect fatigue, and people remembered who he was as an underclassman when right. he was 15 and 16. And some of that was held against him a little bit this year just because of that history. That's just because he was such a big, strong-bodied guy at that time. And he has, I mean, he has as good a raw power as anybody in this entire class, but he started to get to it more consistently. And speaking to a few guys who got a chance to see him in Arizona out in, and in Florida, you saw him progress as a hitter. And you know, the guys just, that said that, you? they said that it was the first time that you really saw things start to click for him, and you've been watching him for four years. How would you describe the body, though? What it's, it's, it's a it's a it's a great looking pro ready body. All right, the guy, you know, the guys that look like him, they play on TV someday. Some of them played football. He's got a yes. football body. He's built. Yes. Phillies at seven. Aaron Nola, their first round pick. But that's probably that was not surprising. Aaron Nola, we to the Phillies was kind of expected. The college heavy way that the Phillies went, Clint, that that was not expected. Was yeah, it? just by doing some quick research, I, the last time that the Phillies started out, even just their first two picks from the college side was nineteen ninety eight which is obviously Pat Burrell, the number one overall pick, and then they followed up with Eric Valent, who was obviously a good player for him, and now a cross-checker. But you look throughout the, the entirety of the draft, their first, their first high school player was uh, in the eighth round was Sam McWilliams, and he was, he was the premier pop-up guy out, out of that part of the country, big 6'7 right-hander, ran the fastball up to 94, then in some other starts he was down <laughs> as low as 83. So, <laughs> so guys didn't know what to do with um, him. The, 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 the difference of opinions on Sam McWilliams were incredible, just when, when you, dependent upon when you saw him. Want, yeah, it was not a typical Phillies draft. And he's a, he's a Tennessee Tech <clears throat> commitment. I also want to give a little quick shout-out to Matt Braga, because there were like four or five Tennessee Tech guys drafted yeah. in the first two days. Plus, they've got this guy committed there. Coach Bragg has done a tremendous job over there. They've had several players drafted the last few years. Uh, I think the guy's name was Chad Oberocker who went to the A's. A.J. K.J., A.J. Kirby Jones. 
Uh, they have a, is it Stephen Pryor, Tennessee Tech guy? I believe he is. Something like was he that or Austin Pease? One of the two. I thought he was. I thought he was uh, Tennessee Tech. Either way, I mean, obviously, you want to talk more about the Phillies <laughs> than Tennessee Tech, but. And if you're going to take college guys, you know, they got some value. Uh, Nola, they got two pitchers, as I said when I talked about Matt Imhoff on the show, they got two pitchers who do it very differently, but both pitch off the fastball in Nola and Imhoff. Then you get Aaron Brown, who could be expedited as a left-handed pitcher, but they announced as an outfielder. And the selectivity is not there for him yet, but he's got real power. He's got presence. He's the star of Pepperdine's team. I think that happens to matter personally. And then Chris Oliver fell in their laps down at round four. A guy who had a chance to go in the first two rounds, Clint, and then had a late DWI. Didn't perform well on the stretch either. I think it wasn't just the DWI, but that's a good arm in but the fourth round. on pure talent at right. 12, that's astounding. I thought yeah. so. And even Reese Honestly, Hoskins. He's, he's almost, in, in some respects, he's almost more like a high school guy with the way that he was used coming in out of the bullpen. Right. This is being his first year starting. And the body, he's just so lean and athletic and loose. And, yeah, well, I mean, the fastball will legitimately sit 93 to 95, touching 98. And, yeah, there's a lot of 97s and 98s out of the, in shorter stints, but you'll, you'll see that also out of the, when he starts. So I, I thought the Phillies, for being college-heavy, did, did pretty solid. How long, when do we think, when do you guys think we see Nolan in the big leagues? Next year? You know, I don't know. I, I think it's to be determined because, I mean, what direction are the Phillies even going in as an organization? Are they going to start selling off? If they start selling off... Then there's room for Aaron Nola sooner than later. He'll probably tell us. Uh, I would imagine you'd have to expect him to see him in 2015 at some point, whether it's first half or second half. I think it depends on what direction they start going in at the big league level. Rockies picking eight. Worked out very well for Kyle Freeland. Worked out as well as it could. This was the, we talked about that Alex Jackson ended up at his floor, which was six. Kyle Freeland ended up ascending to his ceiling, which was eight. Yep, and this is a, a more high school-oriented draft than you usually see out of Colorado. Um, this is a college-heavy organization. They stayed college-heavy at the top with Freeland, but then a couple of preps there, Clinton Forrest Wall and Ryan Castellani. We certainly heard the Forrest Wall late helium would have been very difficult. I think the history really is what kept them in the supplemental first round, but he's did he? But he still is the highest drafted high school second baseman of all time, right? At, at yeah. thirty-five. Yeah, last year, last year And even yeah. if you wanted to count Micah Schilling, who was a high school shortstop who moved to second, he went out higher than Micah Schilling. So this is the highest drafted, more history, highest drafted high school second baseman of all time, Forrest Wall. And if there's ever going to be one, you saw the video on the show. We've seen the video. This guy's just loose, handsy looseness, as Connor <laughs> liked to write about, and speed. And if his shoulders are healthy at all, this guy's going to be a big league hitter, Clint. I mean, I, I, I think we both really like Forrest Wall quite a bit. Yeah, and, and more importantly, talking to evaluators in the game, they say that he, outside of Alex Jackson, some people think he might be a better pure hitter than Alex yep. Jackson. He might be you know, the, the purest hitter from the high school side in this, in this entire draft. No, he had and plus speed. And honestly, the defensive actions and the athleticism, and if he, he had the arm, the defensive skill set, other than that, could definitely play at shortstop. He's just that sort of an overall athlete. And you know, Ryan Castellani, another guy, kind of like a pitcher version of Gareth Morgan. This is a guy who announced himself as a sophomore, and I do think there was some prospect fatigue. Inconsistent senior year in high school, so I don't think he was a consensus second-round pick. But the Rockies clearly saw him good and had history on him because he has been on the circuit for a long time. I just think he was a guy who plateaued. Didn't make that next step forward like you talked about with Gareth Morgan. So that's why you know our information was that he hadn't 
uh, risen back up to this. I had not gone back in late on him. I don't know if you'd heard anything late on him having late helium. And it was probably plateauing in terms of just pure velocity, but the right. pitch ability had, has gotten better. And he's always he's always been good in that regard, but now he, he really has a chance to just stand out for his pitching and his ability to get ground balls and you know he's he's really kind of what you look like. I mean, it, it's a it's a great looking body. And you know, that, it, it's it's the the raw material that you want. And some solid college perform college performers as well. With Sam Howard at Georgia Southern, uh, Drew Weeks, leading hitter in uh, Division One. Both both those guys are in our old friend Alan Matthews' uh, coverage area. But also Harrison Musgrave, uh, the lefty out of uh, West Virginia, has definitely had his moments the last two years. And Andrew Warbach. So some pretty good college performers mixed in as well by the Rockies. So that moves us. That's we're gone the Rockies. We keep on moving. So that was again. That was kind of an expected pick. Well, who the Blue Jays took? We're going to talk. We're going to do nine and eleven here. We're going to talk about the Blue Jays draft. They had two picks. We expected Jeff Hoffman was going to be their pick. We kind of thought it might be eleven, not nine. But Jeff Hoffman goes goes nine, and then they come back with Max Pentecost at eleven. I think what happened is that they were comfortable with either Max Pentecost or Trey Turner as their position player. So they were going to take Hoffman first. That way, when they cut a deal with him, they save more against the bonus pool at 9 than they would at 11. And then they would take whoever's left from Pentecost and Turner if the Mets took one of them. Then the Mets took Conforto instead, so they had their choice of Pentecost or Turner. They wound up going with the catcher, Pentecost. I could see either one of those, and they both make a lot of sense. The more I find out about Max Pentecost, the more I like him. A lot of track record there for Max Pentecost. Seventh rounder out of high school, Cape MVP, athleticism, improved catch and throw, especially the catching ability, the receiving has gotten better. So, I, And then Sean Reed Foley falls to them at 49. I, I thought they got three first-round picks, Clint. I'm with you all the way there. Yeah, and, and Sean Reed Foley, he honestly, up until his last start at Sebring, was about as consistent as any high school right-hander. He was going to sit 91 to 93, touch 96, with a plus slider, good feel, good command. And honestly, guys love the competitiveness with Sean Reed Foley. Granted, Sebring was not his greatest outing. His fastball dipped into the low 80s a little, or sorry, the high 80s and low, and low 90s. But outside of that, he's been as consistent as anybody out there. And you're right, I mean, he, he, he could have been in play in the middle of the first round, if not the back half of the first round. And I think, this is just pure speculation from my standpoint, I think that he will get close to first round money. I think if... If we've seen any indication, you know, they're they're going to value, you know, the first round talents in that range as far as financially. And that's kind of something they've done. Yes, exactly. I mean, look, yep. at, the, look at the track record. I mean, certainly they didn't have a draft this year quite like they did in 2012. But that year, you know, from four to ten, you had seniors, and everybody else well, higher than that was getting more the, money. The thing that they were able to do this year, though, is is that I kind of like this draft better for the standpoint of. 2000, they've had drafts where they just swung for the fences entirely. Mm-hmm. What we're talking about with the Marlins almost, like that to another degree, this is a draft. Yeah, theirs were much more extreme. They were, it was like everything was concentrated in five or six players, and the rest of them were all senior signs. This is a draft where you talk about Pentecost, is a, as you just said, that's not a very risky pick. No, I, th- I, I that, think he's a high floor guy, exactly. And, and, and his floor is like Eli Marrero type, you know, like a catcher versatility guy because he's that athletic. And Hoffman, I is obviously coming back from elbow surgery, but at nine, they may win. have gotten the best pitcher in the draft at nine. I mean, I don't think he was that, but he might wind up being that, and they got him at nine. So that's <laughs> what, what I, I like the, their draft. What about after two? Is there anyone else that jumps out to you guys? 
I have to defer to Clint. It's Honestly, a much Nick, more high Nick, school. Nick class. Wells, he was somebody uh, in Jupiter. If you, you know, there were a good amount of guys at his start there, and he did touch eighty-eight. You know, you saw the body, the athleticism, six foot five, one hundred eighty pounds, very projectable. Then showed showed fairly well again at the at the border battle. But this spring, he has become a completely different animal. He's set eighty-seven to ninety-one, touching ninety-three, and he has one of the better curveballs in the area. It is at least I mean, flashes at least plus. And so the arm works. You got a great body. Feel for the off. I was going to ask you how the body looks. <laughs> it's a good looking body. So there, there's a lot to like there. And Lane Thomas is a Team USA, the outfielder from from Tennessee, Team USA performer. Chance to stick in center field. Chance to hit. He 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 he's he's really an exciting guy. As as is Matt Morgan, their their fourth round their fourth round pick from Alabama. He has a chance to catch. Great athlete behind the plate for the position. Yep. Has arm strength. Again, it's even though these guys are three to five, there's a lot to get excited about. Mets had a first round pick, Michael Conforto at ten. Didn't have a second round pick, so it's kind of they had to wait. Picked at ten, turned around, picked at eighty four with Milton Ramos. So Michael Conforto at ten in a draft that didn't have a whole lot of college bats that were considered premium college bats. He was one of the most premium, was he not? Yeah, he was. Um, you know, depending on who you talk to, it's Conforto or Schwarber. Clearly, the um, Cubs decided on Schwarber, and uh, that left Conforto for the Mets. You know, if you're looking at an organization philosophy that's been in the news a lot lately, this is a guy who's not afraid to draw his walks, not afraid to go deep in counts, and in general, the reports are that when he gets a fastball, he does damage to it, and that's exactly what the Mets are looking for. Eudor Garcia is somewhat similar. I'm a, he's a personal cheese ball. I'm not sure how you <laughs> nailed it. That's, but that, that's, he is perfect fit for the Mets. He's got like a magic wand bat. Cartoon number, Nintendo numbers in junior college. 460 with 14 home runs at last check. But this guy, everybody I talk to about this guy, thinks he can really, really hit. But he's 5'11", 220, 225. Where does this guy play? Is this a first baseman? You know, he, you know, he sounds like to me is like an Arubio Durazo type. Bad body first baseman who hits and hits with power. So and Arubio put up some Nintendo. He had numbers. some. It's a pretty good year. So you know, minor league Arubio numbers were. Did he? They were sick. Yeah, I mean Depot and JP Ricciardi were in the A's organization when they had Arubio, and they're obviously with the Mets now. And I have to ask them about that if they think that this is an Arubio Durazo guy. I mean, I, I've not seen Udor. Just talked to a couple scouts about him, and, and they both really liked him. So. He was getting cross-checked and uh, heard big-time power from this guy. And, Clint, we both like if you get The opposite of him is Milton Ramos with a sleek, uh, you know, Im- immature body. Immaturity also an issue uh, elsewhere in terms of just the approach and f- scouts wanting to see a little bit more man, a little bit less boy. Uh, but this guy has some wizardry with, the, wizardry with the glove. Yeah, he sure does. His hands truly are special. You know, just watching him take ground balls, it, it really is something it's fun. to behold. It's fun to watch yes. him just take infield. And you know that he loves it, too. Absolutely. He's passionate about it. He loves to show off the glove work. You can tell because of his flair that he does have the Latin roots. He loves to talk about his flair. Yeah. <laughs> so. And as you mentioned, I mean, he's going to need to get stronger because he does have bat speed, makes some contact, but he is 150 pounds. <laughs> the Alcides Escobar comps, I think, fit from a body standpoint and from just a player, you know, this is who he potentially could become. I like that. Not as much arm those Alcides, right? No, Good the, the arm, arm yeah, it's, it's an above-average arm, but not, not a howitzer. Now, later on their picks, it did seem Hashtag like the, that they, uh, 
They, there's a couple seniors here. I mean, are they trying to squirrel some money for one of the? You know, they did. I mean, Josh Provost, one of, I thought was one of the priority seniors on the board, but um, you know, to me, because he so he's they, got stuff. I mean, six eight. He's up to ninety four miles an hour. Um, they could do something, I suppose. That's what I'm wondering. Well. Is, is are they? Because I don't see a guy on here on their board that you say, okay, well, they had to spend that money to move it up. So that makes me think that maybe they're moving some money down. We'll we'll, we'll see. Dra- day three of the draft uh, is, is still on the way. And you had mentioned both at the top of the draft with Conforto and Garcia. You know, those are just bat first players, and certainly Michael Katz. He's been as consistent as as a lot of a lot of you know the best hitters in the entire country. He's a bat first player. They announced him. As an outfitter, although yeah. you know some scouts that we talked to thought that he was more of a first baseman, and the eighth round pick Dash Winningham, he's a first baseman, a left-handed hitter from Florida, was pretty at the Metropolitan Baseball Classic, which the Mets hosted over the summer, hit two home runs there, nice. and so it was it was, it was a nice way to, to encapsulate all that. Brewers at twelve. The thing that jumps out with the Brewers, we talked about the Blue Jays a couple of years ago and their swing for the fences draft. The Brewers had a swing for the fences draft. And the thing about it is, I'll say, is they got some guys who, if they connect when they swing for the fences, it's going a long ways. Cody Madero is their number one pick. Jacob Gatewood, their supplemental first-round pick, who a lot of thought that he might be a first-round pick. Monte Harrison, their second-round pick, which a lot of people thought he might be a first-round pick. Swinging for the fences too much, or, or do you like it? Oh, no, I love it. <laughs> it's, it's phenomenal. It's, it's, that was the funnest draft of the first day. I mean... But, Three of the seven guys who were there, and I'll, I'll disclose this. When Jacob Gatewood got drafted at 41, Monte Harrison left the building. He did not stick around. So he was there early, but I think the fact that he was there and then he had to wait till pick 50, he didn't feel like waiting all that long. It was a long night, but Monte bounced uh, much to our chagrin. And so he didn't get to be there when he actually got his name called. Um and I thought MLB Network handles that. You know, they're, no, they're not showing the green room. They're not showing the dugout. And the players are sitting there sweating, not getting picked. So that was never shown. So I'm disappointed that it didn't work out for Monty going higher. But the Brewers are loving it. And so, number one, the Brewers' history back to Jack Zarensic and Bruce Sides worked for them for a long time. Workouts matter. They're a workout team. Cody Medeiros described his Magical mystery tour from Hawaii coming through the, the, the United States and working his way to New York, to the continental U.S. He winds up, uh, one of those stops was Milwaukee, he said. So he worked out there, clearly had a good workout. I think we already hit 97 in the workout. Um, so I, I love Cody Medeiros. Uh, I know that you release points unique. Every time I hear I, I just think this guy, he has a chance to be special. I was surprised that he was the first high school Player, a pitcher drafted after the top two, was he not? He was the third yes, guy drafted. Yeah, he was. That really surprised me, but um, clearly conviction there on the part of Milwaukee. And then he's Gatewood still, and he's Harrison. a consensus busting player. Yeah, he is. And then uh, Monty Harrison, hey, he could be Bubba Starling, and that's not good. I think mean, the stink of Bubba was on him, and that's why one of the reasons he fell. He had bad workouts, according to the information that was circulating at MLB Network that night. And then Jacob Gatewood, boy. What will Jacob Gatewood be? You know who the comp I thought of, J.J., the other down him? Joel Guzman. Joel Guzman was a $2.5 million, 6'5 shortstop with huge raw power who, for the Dodgers who just got cups of coffee. Looks a lot, there's a lot of physical similarities to uh, Jacob Gatewood. The, the, th- the thing that jumped out on the, on the broadcast, they were talking about six, you know, him shortstop. One thing, I can, one, thing I can add, one thing I can add to this is, is that... Is that if he's a six foot five shortstop in the big leagues, that does it regularly. He'll be the first. Yeah, because there's literally <laughs> never been one. 
and I don't think he's going to change that. Yeah. Beyond I, Kale, the only other one who's been six foot four to play semi regularly is Andy Fox, and he only his high his season high. Carlos Correa will add to it was, that. It was eighty games. Carlos so, Correa yeah. will become the third six foot four. <laughs> I mean, like seriously, even at third base, six four is tall. I mean, it's mm-hmm. big. He, that's big for third base. I mean, it's not a Troy Glaus body because he's not as big as Glaus, but it's trending in that direction. That's why you hear people talk about right field, and that's why I'll throw out Joel Guzman again because he was like six five, six six. And uh, you know, Joel Guzman was a guy, but I, I think that Jacob Gaywood has more desire than Joel Guzman. Hopefully that will be the separating factor, but um, I love the high upside Scout, here. Scouts love the makeup. Yeah, they the really makeup do. I think and, is huge here. But to get this and, guy at 41, I, I, I love this draft. I love this draft. I mean, like uh, obviously you know, Redshirt uh, Jr. and Mitch Meyer and down in seven. Uh, Dustin DeMuth, a senior who turned down the draft last year as an eighth-round pick. So they, they made some seniors. Javi Salas, a senior sign. They, so they, they, their money is going yes. Their money's going one, one Massive half, and two. Their draft is in three guys, and then Cy Snead could be a reliever, you know, maybe a starter, but great makeup guy. I heard a lot of good things about the makeup there. Um, but this draft is Maderos, Gatewood, Harrison, and this could be the best draft for the Brewers since, you know, the, the heyday back when it was Braun in 05 and, Fielder in 02 and Weeks in 03. And the reality of it is, as we said, Jimmy Nelson very should graduate this year. Jimmy Nelson already has a scoreless five and a third, two-thirds inning start this year. And he's got a 1.6 ERA in AAA. He's going to graduate. If he graduates, we could be talking about potentially the one, two, and three prospects in the <laughs> yep. Brewer system. I've got 10 more minutes, so we okay. need to move on. I'm okay. sorry. Going on to the Padres, 13. Trey Turner, they pick 13. They come back Michael Geddes in the second round. Another very intriguing guy, an intriguing draft. Yeah, let's see who let's see those guys run. <laughs> let's run those guys together. Um, that will be a lot of fun to watch Turner and Gettys, two completely different body types who are both Blazers. Um, but you know, Both premium athletes. Premium athletes. And we'll see about the health of Zach Lamond, but Chad McDonald's very well connected in Texas. I bet you he knows. I bet you he has good sources there. Billy Gasparino, also their scouting director, very well connected. Um, I kind of like this draft. This is the first time I'm taking a look at it. I'll be fascinated to see what they do with Dylan Davis at 87. I don't think the consensus is that he's better as a hitter, right? And the consensus is better on the mound. 97-98 for Oregon State in short bursts. I wouldn't be surprised if he winds up on the mound, Clint. But, uh, I like I like, I like Gettys at 51. He's not quite – he went right after Monty Harrison. Yep. I mean, that, that was, was, was kind of funny. It was kind of funny how that 40 to, to 51 range lined up. Our wild card stretch. Was, our wild yep. card stretch was 32 to 41, and the draft that actually wound up winning 50, uh, 41 to 51. Yep. We were a little high. That's okay, though. <laughs> but so it's an interesting. What we're going to do is we're going to do the first 15 picks today. Okay. And then we'll cut it off. We'll do the second half of the draft tomorrow. Okay. So we'll have a two parter. We're going to do it. Sure. Good idea. You're going to do an hour for the uh, first 15 and probably an hour for the second 15. So. So that's kind of what we're looking at with the Padres, though. That moves us on to the Giants. Tyler Beatty, there's a, I don't want to keep saying fascinating pick. There are a lot of fascinating guys in this. Tyler Beatty is a guy who, if you saw him good, you could say, wow, what a steal at 14. If you saw him bad, you could say, wow, what a pick at 14. I, think, I don't think anyone would not agree, though, that this is a great risk to take at 14. Yeah, regardless of when you saw him. The talent is undeniable and exactly. This and the is, body this is, is undeniable. Yes. And this is this is the right organization with the right pitching infrastructure to be able to maximize a guy who's who's you know, 
he has had questions about his strike throwing ability, and this this is the organization that, that hopefully coaxed that out of him. Yeah, I mean, exactly. That I like the we use the word hopefully. I want to see Tyler Beatty be good. You know why? Because when Tyler Beatty's good, it's fun. Because yep. the stuff just jumps. The fastball jumps. We've made a lot of comparisons to Matt Harvey. I don't think he's ever had Matt Harvey's breaking ball or feel for spin. So that's where the comparison does break down a little bit. But I I love the marriage of Beatty and the ninja. Dick Tidrow. <laughs> if Dick Tidrow can't fix this guy, nobody can. Well, I shouldn't say that. Maybe the uh, Rays or the Cardinals could. but uh, or, or Brent Strom with the Astros. But I love this marriage. Um, you know, I'm surprised by some of the other picks like Aramis Garcia, you know, some of the other these, the, the college players they took. Um, you know, Logan Webb to me is an interesting pick, uh, Bay Area guy. Uh, we heard some questions about the makeup. I assume that the, the Giants heard those questions as well. And let's face it, I've had many Giants sources over the years tell me, you know, sometimes you need a little few jerks in the clubhouse, and that's not. I'm not calling the kid a jerk. I'm just saying the Giants don't want all nice guys. They're yeah, will, at their best. No one ever, no one ever said, you know that Jeff Kent, that Barry Bonds, I'm going to invite them over for dinner because they Jack, are fun to have around. Or Jack Clark or Will Clark. <laughs> I mean, like, they've had some royal pains in the us over the years. So, um, You know, even Sam Coonrod, though, is a typical Giants pick. Arm strength guy. They know what to do with arm strength. And I, one of my cheese balls, I like Austin Slater. I'm a little surprised he went in the eighth round. I hope the Giants give him a shot in the infield. This guy played shortstop in the Cape. I love how all Stanford's players, but their shortstops, played shortstop in the Cape. <laughs> I mean, you know, come on, Coach Marquis, loosen up a little bit. Give these guys a chance at shortstop. Because Alex Blandino might get a chance to play shortstop. They even announced it the shortstop yeah. in the draft. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the chance to play shortstop. And, uh, you know, he never played shortstop at Stanford. So I just think it's funny that their third baseman and their right fielder played shortstop, and they're short, they are short. never played shortstop in Stanford. But, I like Slater, college performer and athlete. Uh, I think there's something there. Okay, and so to wrap up today's part one of our two-day uh, draft podcast analysis, Angels at 15, who were excited because they got to pick a first-round pick. <laughs> Woohoo! They don't get that very often. They'll often usually that's been portioned out for a free agent. So uh, the Angels, they took uh, Sean Newcomb at 15. They followed up with Joe Gatto, uh, interesting guy at, in the second round as well. So... Clint, we'll start with you. What what jumped out to you about this uh, this Angels draft? Like you said, just simply by the fact of, that they have those picks, just on sure talent. I mean, JJ, you know you know the Angel system as good as anyone. Just knowing what you do know about Newcomb and Gatto, how would you say they rank in terms of the last five years? Just pure talent coming into the system from a pitching standpoint. Where would they rank? I, I think what you've seen since the 09 draft, basically. Yes. The 09 draft, yes. yes. draft ranks above this by, you know, because, yeah, well, Mike Trout, you know. Even without Mike Trout. But even without Mike Trout. Skaggs, Skaggs Corbin, Richards. Yes. It's Depth. Yeah. And Grechuk. I mean, right, no, I'm just talking about pitchers. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing that the Angels have done, the thing that you've seen them do the last two years, they did it last year, even though they didn't have a first round pick, and they did it again here, is they, I think, looked at their system. And they've done some self-evaluation. They needed to. And they did. And they looked at it and they said, you know what? We have too many guys with poor arm actions who are pure relievers. And so they went out there and they said, okay, we want to bring in. Last year, last year pretty much, they wanted pure starters all across the board. And if you look, they went into last year's draft probably without a starting pitching prospect 
in full season ball that you Amazing. would say is going to be a starter in pro in the, in the big leagues. Didn't have a one. They changed that last year. Hunter Green, they got some other, you know, Elliot Morris. You could keep uh, uh, Kyle McGowan. They got guys who at least have a okay. shot to do that. That's what they did again here, too. I think that they're, that's why you see where they're going. And I think if you look at it, again, they haven't had a whole lot of first-round picks. Simply on that basis, this very well could be their best draft since, you know, since the trout draft. No question. Yeah, with Joe Gatto, you can dream the dream. The body, the way the arm works, the ease of operation with him. Just the ball just comes out of his hand so easily. Yep. Downhill, bat-breaking fastball life when he's right. The curveball can flash above average. That's the line I wish I'd remember to use from your scouting report that I did use on. But like the, the extremities is what stuck out in my head. Yes. He, is, he has a, per, a great pitcher's body. Um, to me, I love the top of their draft because they need starting pitching. This was a pitching draft, and they got, you want starters arm action? And guy who pitches off the fastball and gets swings and misses with the fastball, I give you Sean Newcomb. I mean, and then Gatto could be another one of these another one of these guys. I like Chris Ellis. You know, I, mean, I don't love Chris Ellis, but in the third round, college starter. He's not from the ugly arm action phylum that this draft presented. He's actually got a chance to start. It's back of the rotation, but he's got a chance to start. And Jeremy Rhodes, and, and he's an athlete, it? and there's been improvement. Right, there's been significant improvement. Absolutely. And Jeremy Rhodes is, fits the usual Angels phylum of guy who's going to be a good bullpen guy. You, uh, when you see him on the right day, you see two plus pitches. You see a good fastball and a good slider. Maybe they're more above average than plus. I should probably temper that. But uh, and a little sleeper there also in Jake Yusinich, the All Big Ten shortstop at Iowa. If you're looking for a college position player, it's a junior, but the guy has performed. Just a solid all around. It's probably a lot of. Uh, four, four and forty-five tools, but a guy who has a chance to, at the very least, be a really solid organizational player, cup of coffee kind of guy, reliable defender. We've had some good reports about him, so I, I kind of liked, I, I kind of liked what the Angels did. So that's going to wrap up day one. We will. Uh, don't worry if your team was not covered today. We're going to cover it tomorrow in our second podcast on this. But also with this, we wanted to be in order, so. That you knew, like, hey, if you, whatever your team is, you can find that spot if you want to in the podcast. You can jump ahead. You can jump back. For John Manuel, for Clint Longnecker, I'm J.J. Cooper. I want to remind you again, if you're dreaming of a job in professional baseball, apply free at sportsmanagementworldwide.com to see if you are qualified to become a scout, agent, or work in the business side of professional baseball. Go to sportsmanagementworldwide.com. That's the Baseball America podcast. We'll be back tomorrow, a rare Saturday podcast. We will be doing it because we're going to be here anyway. For John and Clint, I'm JJ. Thanks, everyone.